Welcome to episode 22 of the VD Clinic. With you as always, I am your host, Vanessa. And with me now, officially for one year, congratulations, is Darren. I made it. There can be only one D. (laughs) Okay. And for today, though, you get a double dose of Vanessa. Um, you have um, a friend of mine, um, awesome person, librarian. My ex- making me blush. My exploitation <laughs> knitting drunken buddy, Vanessa Nutter. Yes, so there are going to be two Vanessas here today. Yay! <laughs> Say hello, Vanessa. Hello, Vanessa. Okay, hello, Vanessa. <laughs> so, uh how are uh, how are you guys doing? Doing well, thank you. In your cozy apartment, having wonderful breakfast beverages. Oh yes, yes, that's exactly true. Vanessa brought over uh, some beverage, uh, some prosecco. So <laughs> we might be toasty after a while. Is it the kind of alcohol Freeman would approve of? Yes, sure. <laughs> um, well, I don't know, considering. All the labels and name brands that he mentions in the book. That's like. true. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, I'm sure at some point it would be in some sort of, um, he, he would have encountered it in some um, kind of event he would have had to go to. Oh, oh sure. Oh, Absolutely. Of course. You know. Some uh, maybe awards banquet, right. even <laughs> <laughs> in his Playboy days. Oh God! Yes, we are celebrating Black Power with both the novel and film, "The Spook Who Sat by the Door." That's why I'm we needed very excited about this. Yeah, exactly. Well, and I've been talking about this for. Yeah, you had said before. We started recording, um, what, two years I've been talking about this? <laughs> Roughly, because I think that our chat about the Central Park Five was 2017. Yes, it was around that time. And I chose to do that documentary, <laughs> Be Nice and Serious. Um, and this is serious in its own right, but... Yeah, definitely more fun and laid back (laughs) approach (laughs) to a a revolutionary idea. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Yeah, to put it mildly, (laughs) but (laughs) some of the same principles even thrown in there, (laughs) interestingly enough. Um, Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. I've just... um, I encountered this film a number of years ago, and it was, I guess, do we want to take a break before um, we get into the meat of it? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm fine with that. I okay. Think. Okay. Um, 
yeah, let's take a quick break and then we will be back and we will jump right into this massive discussion. Yeah, be right back. This will keep you quiet. Oh, hi there. I didn't see you. You caught me cutting a new show. I'm Bo Ransdell, and I'm one of the many creators you can find on Legion Podcasts. I said quiet! My fellow podcasters and I work hard to bring you the best in horror podcasting, but that comes at a cost. What's that like to live deliciously? Not that, but also yes. No, what I'm getting at is that there are server costs, costs for good microphones and software for editing, all the things that make our shows, you know, fun to listen to. And you can help. If you're enjoying the shows on legionpodcasts.com or in the Legion Network available on iTunes and Stitcher, just about anywhere you can download a podcast, really, you can help us out and get a little something for your trouble at patreon.com forward slash legionpodcasts. For just two bucks a month, you get a pair of movie commentaries exclusive to Patreon, and for five dollars, you can also join us for a monthly screening of a movie. All of that available on patreon.com forward slash legion podcasts. We appreciate it, and thank you for listening. Now, back to the cutting room. Okay, and we are back. Um, we're kind of going to do both of these at the same time. Um it's the 1969 Sam Greenlee novel, The Spook Who Sat by the Door, and which was turned into the 1973 film directed by Ivan Dixon. And Sam Greenlee was very involved uh, with the screenplay and the production and getting everything made with it. And... Yeah, it's a really interesting piece of, well, I got attracted to the film first. And then once I finally was able to find the film, because it was a hard film to find for years. And um, because the man was kind of keeping it suppressed. um, Really? Really? <laughs> I, I saw Greenlee talk about that. I found an interview of him with yeah. something called Swahili TV or something like that when he mm-hmm. was 80 or 81. Re- so, and, and actually, yeah, and actually, I had seen the movie. I, I finally was able to find the movie just because I like a lot of exploitation and black exploitation movies that's part of why i was like i want to see this film i had read the title that's Mm -hmm. initially just and it sounded like an interesting concept that's why i was first drawn to this and then i see it and i'm like okay here's this thing that's being called black exploitation and no this is a straight up political film it's yeah (laughs) you know and then i went back and found the book and the book yeah which was barely able to find a publisher yeah i think my copy is print on demand um it doesn't even have a spine label it's just blank like it 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 literally looked like someone printed it out of their um their like mimeograph in their house yeah it's it's even now it's not easy to find and um when and so 
I had seen the movie and then read the book. But then 2011, a documentary actually came out and I happened to be working because I work um, at an ad agency in uh, like the commercial production department. And one of the producers there was, he's a, like a regular judge and been very involved in um, an African-American film festival like that every year. And they were showing this one and they showed this at our agency actually like, cause they would show finalists from wow. the film festival. And so I happened to see this documentary called infiltrating Hollywood, the rise and fall of the spook who sat by the door, which I highly recommend if you ever get a chance to see it, the story behind well, getting this book published to begin with was a trial, but then getting this film made was insane because there was a lot of, you had some of these distribution houses at this time where they were trying to get in these cheaply made films, you know, a lot of these places were mob controlled. So there were some of these aspects of that, mm -hmm. but then there was also the fact of the government did actually see this film as a threat and publisher. That's why publishers hadn't wanted to touch the book either, either because they thought the government was going to come after them. I believe it. And so the, I, I can't remember every single detail of the story, but at one point there was just one copy of this movie and it was hidden in a vault by one of the crew members. And it was just, it's a, a kind of a miracle that it ended up surviving. And actually the actor, Tim Reed, who was on WKRP in Cincinnati and in the it like movie, the miniseries one from the nineties. Mm -hmm. Um, he actually was integral in bringing the, like getting this restored and getting distribution for it in the early 2000s. Wow. Yeah. It's, it's a crazy story. And what to me is so interesting is again, it gets lumped into this era of black exploitation, but really it's independent black cinema because it was, an almost exclusively black crew, you know, and it wasn't because it wasn't just made for a black audience. The, it, the crew was almost entirely black, which was unheard of even on, you know, some of the other films, which might have had like, okay, you have like some black crew members, but not as many. Mm -hmm. But this one was such like everything about it was like such a, kind of revolutionary act yeah. in, in a way. Sorry. <laughs> but um, so that's, yeah, that's part of why I wanted to do this. I, I think it has a significant place in film and in uh, pol the politics of that era. Yeah. I was wondering if there was any, repercussion for the actors or the filmmakers either positive or negative for making this film like if it boosted careers or destroyed careers or did absolutely nothing at all well most of these people didn't have 
really big careers. I mean, it's, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if it necessarily destroyed them, but a lot of them kind of like, no, I'm going to, you know, lay low. Yeah. It certainly didn't give a boost like some others of this era. Yeah. I don't know. Darren. Um, yeah, I, are we, are we still doing the, our, inter, our, our awakening to this book or our introduction yeah. to this book? I, yeah. <laughs> I was first made aware of this movie when my friend Vanessa asked me if I had seen <laughs> this movie and, and I said, no, I forget how I, it might've just come up organically or. We were try- when we were trying to pick movies to do, as I said, but I was a little surprised that I hadn't seen it because this is a lot closer to my wheelhouse of movies. As we've said before, I'm a little uneducated in the exploitation genres, but this movie has such a political message that I'm surprised I didn't get it when I got, you know. Right. Something like Dr. Strangelove. This is like, this is a really good satire that tells a lot without right. taking itself too seriously or, you know, with some jokes that tell bigger truths or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm also glad that you picked this to do on this show because most of the reading I do is for this show. And there is no audio book that I know of that's available for this book. So that makes it less likely to be my side reading. So yeah. it would have taken me a lot longer. And I, I was about burying the lead, but I am a big fan of this book. I did. I waited until we were recording to say it because this was a first, <laughs> a first, a first read for I know. me. But yeah. I, 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 I read this book a lot faster than it usually takes me to read things. And so much, I mean, my wife even noticed. She's like, oh, look, you're reading. It's like, I read, <laughs> I read all the time, just not every chance I get so regularly. Yeah. But th- this was a book I didn't want to put down. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, I feel like they could have even made it longer, but it didn't need to be. No. No, it kind of tells you the eventualities and right it gets to the point and you get enough of these different situations to get there but um do you want to say i guess the basic premise of this for anybody who hasn't caught (laughs) (laughs) yeah uh, Uh, a a reading of what it's about yeah this book from what 40 something don't make me do math from a long long time ago and this movie from a little bit more recently but still a long long time ago no it's 50 years ago is it 50 this year hey happy birthday to the spook who sat by a door is sort of a what a political satire uh by sam greenlee as we had said about dan freeman who it starts out basically Dan Freeman is getting trained by the CIA to be yeah. there uh, because there's a senator that wants to appear to not be racist. We must make that 
very clear. <laughs> uh, he wants to appear to not be racist. So what what can we push that doesn't make me do a lot of work? And so Dan Freeman gets training in the CIA. They talk about the prejudices and the racisms that happen in there. Uh, what, well, I'll get to that. I've got some quotes written down that I liked. But he takes that There's training. So many yeah. <laughs> he takes that training and goes back home to Chicago uh, and takes work as sort of a social worker, youth outreach person. And he trains the young, disaffected black youth of Chicago how to be revolutionaries. Is that is that a good summary? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we can go all the way through the end, but that's basically if you don't like that idea of the story, then this book and movie are not for you. (laughs) Yeah. No, exactly. And it's it's all about trying to infiltrate from the inside, you know, and fuck up the power structure that way. Yeah. Um, and then, okay, what happens if you take those skills and become, yeah, a guerrilla revolutionary yeah. in an urban setting? <laughs> if you use the skills that the U.S. uses to demolish other, quote unquote, functioning governments uh, that are not American um, and use it inside, it's uh, right. interesting. Uh, the general, uh, the little, the little racist general at the at the beginning of the book was one of the. Uh, where where was the thing about him being at the club, convincing himself he wasn't racist because this was all fact and science? Oh yes. Oh god, there's so many things in there, and you're just like, oh my god, so <laughs> many things in there. You're just like, really. Um. I, I, I key points that I'm glad that the the movie kept because you can't do everything. You can't have all the internal dialogue and the long drawn out training. That's one of the things that the book has stronger over the film is you get the intricacies and more of the politics of the revolution. And it's a bit simplified for the movie's sake. Right. Um, you, you were talking with somebody and this is still early on because it's when he's leaving the CIA that he's having his lunch and the, the eye rollings of the waiter. Oh my God. That scene in that movie, it, it, Vanessa and I were watching this together a couple weeks ago and that scene came on where the waiter is there and he's like rolling his eyes at the whole conversation and everything and we were cracking up we could not stop laughing oh it was it was just played too brilliantly yeah it was pretty funny is that to replace the the driver and the long conversation from the book do you think i I think it was more so like getting seeing like kind of having a representation of the the audience being like kind of getting like well the you know that freeman's playing this role and people who who get it 
get that he's playing this role, but for the people he's playing the role for, they're, you know, they're, they still don't see it even when it's right under their nose. I think it was kind of like a wink at us. Mm. Yeah. The fact that this guy is, is so oblivious. Yeah. He, and he, it, it doesn't realize, nor does he care to realize right. <laughs> what, what he's doing. And, um, and all the ways he's, you know, with, he does, I mean, cause he, he just, he doesn't think he's that racist or he doesn't think he's racist at all. And you're like, no, you really are a fucking racist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you're not out like with a white hood, you right. know, and a torch, but you're still fucking racist. <laughs> yeah. That was pretty funny. Page 20. This was the proper order of things. He seldom approved of the rising of the sun either. That's just. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I definitely underlined that. <laughs> mm. So to the outward world and to his ex, is it his ex-wife or were they almost going to get married? The woman that was at the doctor, or the lawyer. Joy. 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 I think that they were it was basically they were engaged to be engaged kind of type thing i think that they were they didn't they dated but maybe not exclusively yeah. or you know he said i'm you know i'm going off to school here or whatever and you know just kind of not saying you know we're gonna get married but close yeah okay so yeah she and a level of intimacy okay yeah she That's and jaws sure. are kind of the the people he shows his fake face to and right he, uh, I, I i don't think he ever tried to bring joy over onto his side uh, as he does with dawes no but no. um and then the cobras with their names are so cool. I don't know why I have trouble remembering them. Like Slick Willie. No, Pretty Willie. Pretty Willie. Willy. Willy. My guy who passes is black. Yeah. Daddy. Uh... Yeah, they have all kinds of great names. Yeah. Because it's it's also, think of the, these gang names of the 60s. Like, it's not like gang names of the 90s. Yeah. Or like, or, you know the 2000 whatever so it's a totally different kind of thing yeah yeah there's the a sense of innocence in a way with some of them, <laughs> yeah. some of the names it did yeah it was yeah this weird sense of innocence right these names are like not names that would terrify you no no <laughs> well i mean you know west side story those weren't real scary names either but <laughs> yeah i mean people are afraid of sharks Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's true. Um, one thing: Are we trying to stick close to the chronology as we go through, or are we just talking? Um, I think we're doing both. <laughs> uh, one thing I feel like, and maybe I forgot this part in the book, but I feel like there were parts in the movie where it was. In the book, it seemed like it was specifically white police doing something. Right. They mm -hmm. added a white and a black policeman. Mm -hmm. 
or soldier in the film. And I, I was I was curious about that if it was done on purpose to sort of placate the people. I know um, Greenlee said that Jesse Jackson had lobbied against the film getting funding. Wow. Really? Yeah. He he, uh, he he was talking in that one interview I saw of him when he was 80 or 81. He said, you know, some of the stories that people make talk about this, the making of this movie and everything are just whatever stories. But I will tell you that I had a friend tell me that Jesse Jackson came and saw him and asked him to not help me make this movie. And I know the owner of a theater who played the movie one time and then he was visited by two FBI agents the next yeah. day. Yeah. And um, so I, I was curious if that was done on purpose or if it was just trying to get more people in the movie or like you said, uh, you know, everybody was in charge. So maybe it didn't really matter or if it's sort of summarizing. I know I think he says this at the very end when he has done a thing that I don't know if we're ready to talk about <laughs> at this point, but he says, you know, you think we're only killing white strangers. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So I don't know if that was just done to sort of help get the thing that you can spend a lot of pages doing in a book, but not necessarily have to in a film. Yeah. That's, that's what I was thinking too, is that it was adding, you know, adding that nuance that is in the book where he talks about, you know, the percentages of people and when he spends so much time talking about the different, um, it, you know, that, that there's this middle class group of educated Negroes who, um, who are somewhere in between, you know, in that world and, and that there he pre presents them also as, you know, potential enemies. And, and it, think that he added enough of that in the the movie or that adding without having that language in there and those like lengthy descriptions of how about the middle class negro and it and his habits and his ways and, and his natural habitat the adding in um black police officers and stuff adds to that complicated um level of having having that buffer between and, and what that means um to the revolution well, and I think there's also, you have so many places here where you do see a certain amount of Black people trying to fit into these positions in society, in society. And that's outside of this stereotypical ghetto, right? whatever image. And whether they truly are uncle Tom's as some of the characters are saying, or they too are like Freeman and see I'm infiltrating and I'm working on the inside as the, and I'm using that as a revolutionary way so I can gain whatever knowledge and do whatever. Maybe they're doing that. Maybe not probably not doing that, but <laughs> you know, is it, I mean, and is it for bigger reasons of, you know, I'm just, you know, is there, you know, something of I'm desperately trying to fit into this image of white, what white society sees that I need to be mm -hmm. and how I need to be the respect quote unquote respectable 
you know, job and that kind of thing. It, you know, what's an, ex- what is quote unquote respectable? Like it's just, yeah. and how is that tainted when these conversations of you have some of what these Congress people that the politicians in here are talking about, some of what the social workers are talking about, because it's multifaceted in the fact that it's not just the politicians, you know, that are doing it in it, it's again, even some of the, I feel like some of these social workers, like the way that they, like maybe they mean well, but yeah, it's there's still an institutional race, systematic racism that's there, and all these things that need to be dismantled, and you need to think about things differently than you know, you know what I mean. You're kind of like. <laughs> You're not thinking about this the right way. And yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I, I've told one Vanessa this before. <laughs> I, I, will, I will tell all Vanessas now. Um, my wife is a social worker and I've been to more than a handful of social worker conventions. And I will tell you, I have heard some things that definitely lend credence to the some social workers aren't actually in it to help people yeah sort of thing not not the social work in general but i've right they they have after hours drinking times and i've got good ears and some of the some (laughs) of the people yeah i don't know where i was going with this the coffee is kicking in i apologize no but no but but you could say the same for police officers you know, oh, yeah. maybe, I mean, there are, I mean, perhaps I'm not, there I'm not a big a... fan. I'm not a big fan of cops. We know this, but having worked with police officers, that the ones who are good and who got in it to do something good, they end up getting bit, beaten down because the system itself is so rotten yeah. and there are all these, and they, you know, they either end up turning bad or they're just kind of like, well, I don't know what I do. Do I just give up? What? And a lot of them just give up. Yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah, it's a, it's a tough road to hoe. And, and, I don't know. I don't know how you guys approach the story, especially, you know, being able to spend more time in, you know, in the book. Um for me, I would. It was hard for me to to take one particular vantage point when reading it, and and that kind of leads into what we're talking about now. It's like who is fixing the problem, right? We have this this class of middle class, um, well meaning um, black people who are like saying like we're we're doing it the right way, like you know we're we're following the laws, we're getting respectable jobs, we we're purchasing the the goods that we're supposed to. And then you have, um, you know, you have the- It's being fed that American dream. Right, yeah, right. And 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 then you have like the, the politicians who are saying like, you have to earn respect, you have to earn um, uh, being treated like a human being by, you know, by doing these things. And then you have, you know, Freeman who is, kind of dancing between all these different positions. And I think maybe because he was wearing 
so many hats and like living in so many different masks that like I was trying to like figure out like what is the answer what it what it, who whose side am I supposed to be on right now because <clears throat> I found it really difficult to to sit in one place and and follow along from one vantage point I just kept thinking oh but what about this <laughs> the whole time yeah but there's a lot at play here and I watched this multiple times for this show and 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 it was kind of like i each time i'd have a thought like okay well he's actually the best spy ever because <laughs> he can be undercover to so many people and he like he's deep undercover in so many ways like how long has he been planning this like what point in his life did he decide i am going to create this massive type thing this per and I'm going to follow through with this persona I'm going to go through and I feel like so much how much of his life was calculated mm -hmm. just so he could figure out a way to carry out a plan of revolution because I feel like yes it was fortuitous that this integration of the CIA happened mm -hmm. and so maybe that wasn't the, what he was initially thinking of, but he had to be thinking of something else way in advance. Oh, for sure. He's think, laid the groundwork already. I think um, Joy, at the, towards the end, when they're talking and he starts to get, when she's angry at the freedom fighters and he he kind of loses his cool yeah. with her and she goes, oh, that there's a man that I used that I used to know in college, you yeah. know? And that's, you know, when she, when she starts to get it because she was, you know, just into one of his masks also until that point. Yeah. But yeah, I think he had been planning it for a while and there was a part in there when he says he'd been un undercover and so many covers so long, he'd forgotten what his own face looked like. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And then another thing talking about spies, <laughs> this is what dawned on me because I threw it on this morning while I just kind of was doing some other stuff and early on in the movie, you see the candidates for, you know, these other potential black agents. And there's a moment where all of us, they're left and they're hanging out like by the bar and they're left all of a sudden, like all the white people have left the room. And then all of a sudden they switch gears mm -hmm. and they're totally hanging out their type of, you know, familiarity, whatever way they speak to one another totally changes and everything. And they start talking about like how they obviously recognize that tokenism is the game that is going on here and that they need to play. Mm -hmm. They even say that, but there's a second one that they have like this where Freeman completely calls out and says, watch what you say. Like this room's bug, like how stupid do they have to be as potential spies? Even in the first one, like why didn't they think, yeah, they weren't being the room. They weren't being bu being bugged, right? And again, the second time, like, it, but I'm just like, that's why Freeman survived. He gets it. They're just idiots. But part of me was like confused too because there's very little like interest in anybody, right? Like he, there's not like a sink. There's not like a. Well, he has this great idea for a revolution. He doesn't seem to really give a shit about anybody at all. Yeah, I guess. Like he he hates the people that he 
for the most part they went to college with. He doesn't like Whitey, obviously. And like, but he also like I feel like that that chauffeur scene, like the way he treats like poor people or or at least the people in the ghetto and like lower class black people, he kind of treated them the way like he got mad for being treated himself. So I didn't, I'm like, who, who does he like? What is he even? Well, it, it's interesting. Yeah. There, the classism that is here as well. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think that's there, but it's, it's, I mean, it's not as much to, I think the forefront of obviously as the racism, but classism is totally there. Yeah. It's huge. It's totally there. And when you and I were watching this, you were like, well, of course, there are no women trainees, like potential like <laughs> officers and all this stuff, which I'm like, of course, you know, CAA of that time, they didn't right. even have female, like white females either. Right. But the, you were you made the, the really funny comment of because he becomes the copy clerk or whatever. And he's like, and you're like, ooh, he's getting orders from a woman. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because they really don't have any. Hold on. Sorry, Zora instant, um, <laughs> as usual. Um, but they didn't really have a lot of women around. And what you saw in the book that you didn't see in the movie, mm -hmm. which I thought was interesting, and I don't know why, it was something simple, but in the, mo in the book, they clearly, he goes to the Cobras first because he had been involved with them to some degree when he was young mm -hmm. and growing up. So of course he has that familiarity. He has that in that makes sense. He would go to them first, but then he starts talking about these other groups. And then like one, he says, Oh, we've got to go there because they have a lot of women in that group. Women can go places that men can't. So he recognizes the importance of a woman, like a woman's place in revolution too. Yeah. And you don't see that in the film. And that's something small that could have just been thrown in there. Just like a single line yeah. or two, which is what it was in the book. But it makes a difference of, of, yeah, this is how this has to form. And that's how you, you know, want this to be a successful revolution. You need to get everybody on board. Yeah. Yeah, he, he could have slid that into the movie when he was talking about uh, was a smiling black man with a mop can get a lot of places. It could have been in that same right. well, same well, paragraph totally. of dialogue. Well, exactly. No, no. And there are so many things like they point out like that about, yeah, these stereotypes that, you know, the way. Like, he kept going back to, oh, he's good in sports. Yes. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Your type are good in sports, whoever it was. And <laughs> I'm not an athlete. <laughs> I know. And I'm like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Next thing you're going to hear him say is, you have good rhythm. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, like, I would it was, like, that bad. Like, <laughs> no. Stop. Oh. I, yeah. I am very happy that I got to see the uh, the dosing of the – national guard general or whoever general yeah bull <laughs> yeah because <laughs> they I, oh an earlier point that i sort of rambled away from they they did a really good mm -hmm. job keeping in not that this movie was made just for me but 
in keeping in the points that as through reading, I would, you know, and in an aside to myself, say, I hope that's in the movie. You know, they've got the the radio station takeover. Mm-hmm. And the the bumbling military man that wants to just kill everybody getting tied down and <laughs> uh, dosed with what seemed like some great acid and yeah <laughs> must have been you know the Dahomey queen is that how you pronounce that word Dahomey or is it Dahoning okay uh, I, I guess her part was cut down a little bit in the movie because she had a lot of cool stuff to say in the book but that yeah. and um, and they cut out that she was a lesbian they yeah did. they did did I know. I know. Yeah. Surprisingly inclusive for 1969. Well, exactly. Because even at one point he says something about her hair and he's like going on about her hair. And she's like, you know, if you want a hairdresser, I can get you that. Right. Like in, in, you know, like insinuating that he's gay and that he needs a gay man like yeah. escort. <laughs> like, yeah. so she's even like, and she's like, acts like no judgment if that's your thing, you know, whatever. Right. But, um, and so they did keep that in the movie, but they didn't keep, yeah, her where she like, basically, yeah, says she's gay or not says I'm gay, but. It, she says it without saying the word gay. Yeah. And she says, like, I think in the book, she's like, you know, I'm not even into men. And then she also has a girlfriend. Yeah. She says something like that. Yeah. 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 Oh, not the apartment that her girlfriend knows about or something like that. Right. Yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Which was, you know, interesting that they, okay, added that little in there. <laughs> but, um, yeah. And, and one thing that I'm glad that was in the book, that was also in the movie, and Vanessa and I, of course, I had to stop the movie, and then we had this big discussion <laughs> afterwards. <laughs> but I said, I love the fact that in the book, they talk about, like, okay, Freeman and Joy have sex, and she removes her wig before mm-hmm. they have sex. And they, you see it in the movie. It's such an intimate thing, and you don't ever see that. Like, in you don't really ever see that. And it's like, yeah, that's a thing. Like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it inc- it is it's it's actually very inclusive in a lot of just portrayals of the women here. And it's interesting. Like I'm saying, they weren't a lot of positions for women in this movie Mm -hmm. the relationships he has with them like he has an interesting like positive relationship towards sex workers yeah and it's partly out of necessity of he's leading this you know dual life or whatever but he not just just sleeps with them and moves on like he develops an actual relationship with them like it's a total you know and he's very respectful about it. It's it's very interesting. It's something you didn't see of exploitation movies, which again, correct. This gets lumped in with that. And I guess, you know, some of the 
the scenes of, you know, just, oh, they're blowing shit up, whatever. I mean, okay, sure, it plays out a little bit like that, but which actually that riot scene that's in there was kind of almost real. Um, <laughs> they filmed all the outside scenes without permits. And, and that scene, and that scene was kind of like, it was partly scripted, mm-hmm. but it was partly improv. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, man. <laughs> Shit almost got really bad. There were some things where <laughs> people were having genuine fun, like right? maybe too much. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, um maybe that was hard. his whole plan was to get the scene to seem like it was part of a movie and then to spark the real revolution. Maybe. Maybe <laughs> that's really what it was. But you can totally see that this stands out, I said, outside of these other things of the genre of that time. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, yeah, it's not just, I mean, this guy necessarily has this really, I don't know, you have you have certain ones that have a specific agenda with whatever, like I have a revenge plot. And mm-hmm. this plays into that kind of, feel to some extent but none of them are really and you have people who are yeah i'm going after the man kind Mm -hmm. of thing but it still doesn't have quite this same feel of no i'm taking on the entire fucking system (laughs) yeah yeah that was one of the other things when i was reading it was thinking you know like was i looking at this from like a literary point of view because sometimes it reads kind of like like a um like a playbook for like how to kick off <laughs> you know an, a a national insurrection you know and I'm like hmm is this feasible <laughs> it, it yeah it it's got there are some points that I think are all very instructive and reflective of reality uh did Mm-hmm. Like the in the book, I think it was around. I've got it written down, but it was around page one seventy when he turns on the TV after the riots, and the description of how society or whatever reacts it is relatively mirrored in a lot of things you see even today still. And that, yeah, and that I think that it's at that one of those points we're talking about switching back and forth with where where's our support ultimately lie with which perspective in this book is this this sort of predictable nothing will change but we've got a sound kind of good reaction that people are yeah. who are happy with how things are react to serious issues mm-hmm. right you know there's the they get the sociologists in there and then the people that are talking yeah anyway Rant over. Okay. Well, <laughs> why don't we take a break right now and then we will come back. Okay. All right. Okay. See you in a bit. <laughs> <laughs>
yeah, you got to you got to do your your customer take that you. That oh you gosh. Uh, well, we had something to say, actually, both of us. <laughs> Wonderful. I was hoping that I would. I had the line ever. <laughs> oh. Oh no! What did I say? That <laughs> I had to stop the movie and write it down. <laughs> okay, we are back. <laughs> yes, the um. So as I had said, Vanessa and I were watching watch this movie together, and something I had to uh, stop the movie for just so I could write down the quote. So the scene where. Joy um, meets up with Freeman for the first time, like after her marriage, and he's back in Chicago, and she's in her yellow outfit. <laughs> Don't ask me why I remember, but the yellow whatever that she's wearing, and and she's going on talking about how her marriage isn't perfect, and he goes his way, I go my way, or whatever. Vanessa all of a sudden says to me, <laughs> "It was the '70s." She's probably looked at her vagina with a mirror. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> and one of those women's consciousness groups or something yeah. that was going on in the 70s. It's kind of like, yeah, actually, she's probably right. It's, it's, it's true. Yep. Oh, I had to share that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, thank you for bringing that back to my... My attention. I agree. I stick to that statement. Oh, okay, good. <laughs> Glad you're not taking that one back. Yeah, I'm not going to hold that one back. <laughs> that and we were talking about like the plaid suit budget must have been crazy, and then there were just so many vests in this movie. <laughs> oh my god, so many vests. So many vests. Vest enthusiasts should see this film. <laughs> I was wondering when the the uh, the, the customer, as as we've said, is that 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 is your former that, position? Yeah, you're just waiting for me to say something. <laughs> yeah. Oh no, and I can totally dig like some of the stuff that they were wearing, but there's certain things that you're just like, oh no, <laughs> just, <yeah. laughs> I mean, since, since, since this was so low budget, do you assume that everybody was mostly wearing their own clothes? Probably. Probably. I wonder, though, because he spent so much time describing clothing in the book. I feel like he paid so much attention to the styles and the cuts and the fabrics in this book. It was conspicuous that I wonder how much he how much say he had in costuming as well. That's that. I mean, you had some of the characters who clearly it looked like they were wearing the same thing over and over again, yeah. like the guys that were the gang members. Like, they were in there pretty much their same thing all the time. Yeah. So, I mean, you're saving on costume budget there. <laughs> True. Yeah. Even if Freeman had a bunch of different things and that you had, that's where your costume budget mostly went to. Yeah. You know? And the women had a few things that were nice. Yeah. But... I, I did like um, that in continuing with the costuming that the notion of turning, um, the Dahomey queen onto red. It's funny because it's something that I had heard a long time ago that um, black women, especially darker ones were told that it was inappropriate for them to wear red and pink. And I thought that's such a weird thing to say. And then have that be like 
validated in the book that after that point, I guess there's someone when he, when he, they first start um, hooking up and he says, you know, you should wear red. And she's like, no, I was told that dark women can't wear red. And then um, every time after we see her, she's wearing red. And then it was a nice like wink to his very, very detailed attention to, to clothing. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I yeah. feel I'm I'm just really happy. I, I love when I read a book that I really, really like, and I'm just sort of loving listening to you ladies talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> and the movie also. I know we were just talking about the the wonderful world of revolutionary vests. And yes. <laughs> but uh, it's you know, it's it's one thing that's that's interesting when they talk about this idea of an urban revolution and you know these politicians and police are talking about we've shut off the ghetto for what three days and they realized the city of chicago was crippled because like the vast majority of their sanitation workers their hospital workers and what were the other workers? The bus drivers and i think the Postal workers, Postal workers? Yeah. Postal workers were, yeah, were, yeah, were African American, and they realized, oops, we're screwed. I mean, I'm like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I realized, like, look into your 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 labor forces. Like, I mean, it's just, yeah. I think the timing of when the book was written was interesting. Like, I because obviously, since we're getting into the political parts, the the um. I have to keep reminding myself of like the my point of view from my concurrent political position in 2019 and what he was looking at 50 years ago and you know when publishing this book and the idea that since then we've become as a nation much more anti-union and part of that was the you know the crippling of the of the city by shutting down Right. If these people aren't working, then, Mm -hmm. you know, and so now we're very anti-union. We've cut back. Thank you, Ronald Reagan. Right. right, Viciously anti-union. And then there were some other um, political realities he was talking about that I realized are so different now. You know, 1969, they hadn't, um, you know, they didn't have mass incarceration. So they had all these. You do now. Right. Yeah. It it was, you know, it, it was just ramping up like a couple of years after this film was made. Right. And so we had all these, he was able to mobilize these unemployed, angry black men because they weren't all in jail. <laughs> well, it's true because, I mean, look at the, I mean, the film was made in 73 and it's not like drugs weren't an issue right. and addiction wasn't an issue. Right. It was. However, you didn't have things like the Rockefeller drug laws in right. effect quite yet. That's, I think, started in 74 maybe 76 mm-hmm. around there in New York state. But I mean, things like that being did across the country and then the way it just kind of moved from there. Yeah. And then into like the nineties with these, the three strikes you're out, yeah. you know, and tough on crime, yada, yada, yada. Yeah. It's uh, so much is different now that, uh, you know, and of course, technology yep. and the way that's played into things, of course, definitely changes the situation. But, but you're right. The, the fact of 
the way we've moved away so much from our, you know, unions, it definitely plays a, a significant part here too. Yeah. Yeah. It felt kind of, every time it felt naive and then I realized that it was, it was actually really sad. I'm like, oh man, he, they had so much hope. You know, when he would say things like, you can't keep shooting our kids in the street. And I thought, oh, oh. man. Boy, do we have a week? Yeah. <laughs> Shit. Yeah. yeah, it was, it was kind of sad. So when America How says, hold my beer. Yeah. How many times this year? I mean, exactly. As a police officer, should I, you know, yeah, unarmed black youth? I mean, come on. Yeah. <laughs> it was, you know, it was like sadly. I mean, it's yeah. I, I, you know, it's these are this is like uncomfortable chuckles because it, it. There was points when I thought, you know, like he, he seemed to have so much hope for like you know the way even the way it ends with like it just around the bend you know this this big change is going to happen and then you find out that just around the bend you have harsher laws like you the, and when he talks about the stuff they get the on crack welfare, epidemic right the crack epidemic mass incarceration like even like tough the tough on crime stuff starts coming up in here but also the the way we treat um like welfare and 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 how benefits are you know it's so much of that <laughs> I feel like I was telling um, a friend of mine on Monday about the book and they had their, um, their, their, their hip to our scene. And so they were familiar <laughs> with that. And she goes, it's so much worse now. <laughs> oh God, it is. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. That's just it. It really, it is. I mean, because you, you, you hit the, the only union the, that's gotten stronger yeah. is the Fraternal Order of Police. And, mm-hmm. and all the other ones have been weakened by the, the people that yeah. claim to be pro-union. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but I mean, it's you're right. With the, the rise of mass incarceration, mm-hmm. it's just, it has gotten so much worse. And the way it has destroyed any momentum for any kind of, I think, political movement mm-hmm. in a revolutionary sense, um, as far as dismantling systematic, systematic racism yeah, and classism. I mean, it, it really, it's mm-hmm. just because this, the way the mass incarceration system affects poor people as well mm-hmm. too. Um, it's just, yeah, that's really, I mean, this book and film, I think, say so much about this specific time period mm-hmm. and the the way people and the communities were riled up and ready for change. Mm-hmm. And not that people aren't ready for change now, but our reaction is different. Yeah, I think... Absolutely. I, I think that our reactions, are, I think we're also um, more cynical, right? <laughs> I, there's a, I think there's like a, a like a, a, like a brow beaten kind of approach where one, we are, we are definitely like more aware of multiple points of view, which makes it harder to unify anyone at all. And then um, I think also some of the, the convenient holes in um, in oppression that Greenlee 
happily um, splayed out for us, um, where have been filled with with the tactics that we've we've gone over. Um, and 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 I think people are so tired. Before people were tired, and this was a new kind of idea. Like, you know, we we spent all this time just being smushed down. Something has to change, and then they did, and then they had you know their two ish factions of nonviolence and, and you know and and becoming like the the model the model uh, minority right approach and that was kind of working in the early 70s late 60s you know you had these ideas and then then it all went to shit so i think <laughs> it's a lot harder now to to like saying hey we're gonna try this new crazy idea of getting guns and shooting whitey but like now we know <laughs> now we know obama came he was gonna come for our guns like we were already prepared like these ideas are are kind of old hat and, and easy to like make fun of now but i think and that was supposedly the end of racism right yeah and that was the end of racism right and and these ideas it, it's particularly again i'm saying funny but i shouldn't say funny it's particularly interesting right like watching the um watching them take bull evans right and then put him in a black face the week that we're hearing about the governor of, you know and again for the 1969 and it's 2019 and we're we're dealing with the same things yep <laughs> yep yep right except that was a joke and like it was like wouldn't it be funny if we could do this and we're like no they're doing it themselves and then becoming governor yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're not getting fired and like um at the very, very beginning, when the senator is thinking about how to gain the Negro vote, it sounds so much like the political conversations we have now about, like, I'm the best friend they have in Washington, right? I may not be perfect, but I'm on your side. I'm like, we still say these things to our constituents to get them to vote for us and then ignore them for, like, until the next election. I'm like, oh, man. Like, I, like, got really sad. Well, yeah. But I want to know, how does this guy's wife know this much about cia hiring practices yeah that was weird i mean i just kind of <laughs> thought that was weird to begin with but i'm gonna suspend my disbelief there yeah so. I, I have an imagination that she's also in her conscious consciousness reading group <laughs> Regina and talking about cia hiring practices <laughs> next front women yeah. in the cia yes <laughs> Aside from the secretary. Yeah. <laughs> that was, yeah, that was the last sequel was the secretary who sat by the door. Yeah. <laughs> Darren, did you say that you saw Greenlee being interviewed? Yes. Okay. Um, it was, I was looking around on YouTube and s somebody had made uh, like, uh, they had the movie, but before the movie, they had a whole bunch of different people. I hadn't got to all of it yet, but there was uh, one actor whose name I can't remember, and Sam Greenlee. It was a he was uh, wherever he was around eighty or eighty one, and yeah, they're just asking him a couple questions. He looked like he was at his house and. Mm -hmm. Uh, just chatting about the movie and that's when he had those anecdotes about the, the squashing of the movie and his original title that he wanted to have for the book and just I don't know I, I talked about how the book came out 
And I did not check the date because I'm only remembering this now, but he said something about the book came out really before the Black Panther Party got put together or organized, and <laughs> he thinks that it had an effect. Interesting. Yeah. Um, and yeah, he's, <laughs> he seemed like a super interesting guy. I, I hope that there's more footage or uh, recordings of him talking because these were you know, five, 10 minutes. Snippets. Well, it's why I, I really wanted to, I, wa I was trying to find that documentary that I saw so I could watch it again um, because I had some great, you know, interviews with him and some of the other people that worked on this. And I think there might be some excerpts from it on YouTube, but I didn't see the entire thing on there. Um, I was annoyed. My DVD only has it, the commercials. It, it, Right. It's an interesting story of how just the film was made. And, but this, but even the story of the book, I think mm -hmm. just, I mean, the fact that Greenlee had such a hard time finding a publisher. Yeah. Well, I mean, this was what, 10, 10 years after the Howell obscenity trial or were they even closer together? Might've been 10 years. Because I knew it was sometime in the mid to late 50s, right, for that, that trial. Um, 58, 59. So. I don't remember off the top of my head. Yeah. So sad, well, you know, happy 100th birthday, Lawrence Fairlingetti. Uh, whenever yeah. that is. I know it's sometime around now. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, this this was after... I, if I were a publisher then, that I would feel emboldened to publish dangerous things because it would be in recent memory the vindication of the freedom of the press. Or, you know, not the same thing, but... Yeah. Right. Yeah, I can, I can also... It makes sense. Because, again, I wore so many hats while, while going through this film and reading the book. But I also thought, man, like, if I were... Like this, if I wanted to scare a bunch of, of, <laughs> of, of white people, I would just give them this book or show them the movie. Cause I feel like any like descriptions of like marauding black people with guns that we've heard about from the seventies to present time is, would, would be like, all you need is this book. Like, look, they already have this book. What's next? <laughs> <laughs> like you said, like you said, it's an instruction manual. Dude. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, like, as many times as I've heard, like, you know, if people, you know, get guns or if you let them organize, then they're going to do this. I, like, That's the only reason it. Reagan was for gun control. Right. Yeah. This is the Black Panther Party. Yeah. Oh, and it's ironic when they're, <laughs> when they're training for, um, they're doing rifle training and they say, and not, not surprisingly, the NRA refused to, like, acknowledge their club. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah, that's still true. Yeah. <laughs> There's only certain good guys with guns. <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Let's see. Yeah. Well, it says this thing I have here says that the Black Panther Party was founded in 1966. So I guess the book. 1966. That's yeah. It says uh, October 1966, Oakland, California. Yeah. So probably being contemporaneous, if not, I don't know how long it took him to write the book. I mean, we still... Yeah, that's true. I mean, it, he could have written it earlier and just was only able to publish it in 69. Yeah. yeah. 
and we, and we we saw that that's a terrible the, the the movie had to be sort of passed around in the back channels. I'm sure the the book did too for some time. Well, and a lot of times when the movie played, it was you know cut out certain things that so wasn't quite as extreme and this doesn't quite make sense you know what i mean like (laughs) no there's a scene obviously missing here um and that's kind of partly how it was seen for years or you know essentially bootleg copies of the film yeah it's how it existed up until like i said the early 2000s which is crazy yeah it is crazy it is super crazy hmm I'm thinking too, this was also the time when the term domestic violence was used to refer to black movements. Well, and and AIM. Yeah. The the American Indian movement. Yeah. Yeah, they were militarized as well. Again, all under investigation by the FBI. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. so I'm sure the CIA had some sort of you know, surveillance. Yeah. I could see how this could be scary to to people who maybe have thought that smiling negroes with mops were <laughs> were not dangerous prior to, to this. Book. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh no, now they're all unsafe. <laughs> uh, the people, the people that think well, black well, people were like, oh. No. They're learning our secret. The yeah. white people are learning our secret. <laughs> this is how we infiltrate. <laughs> yeah. This is how we start revolution. <laughs> yeah. You have trouble picking music for this episode, Vanessa. There's going to be so many choices. Yeah, I know. You have the great Herbie Hancock soundtrack. Yeah. Which... It's Herbie Hancock because he grew up like down the street from Greenlee. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Interestingly enough. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Which I will say that, I mean, that's one thing about, and I wanted to talk a little bit about the black exploitation genre in general, mm-hmm. because like I said, this kind of gets thrown in there, but I don't consider this black exploitation. This is, Black independent cinema, you know, is what this is, in my opinion. But it just got in and was distributed on this wave of yeah. all these kind of, you know, black exploitation <laughs> kind of films. Do you think it would have been made at all if it hadn't if it hadn't been in this time period when they were like, oh, I guess we can sell some films that have black people in them with speaking roles? <laughs> well, I think it made it easier. Yeah, certainly, but. You know, the yeah, it definitely didn't hurt. Yeah, um, but it it was a labor of love, though. Ultimately, I think because of what Greenlee went through to even get it to film. Yeah. You know, um, but I don't know black exploitation. Like as much as I love the genre <laughs> in a way, mm-hmm. like, like I also can be problematic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, that, you know, and there's that, that whole discussion to be had of does, because this isn't, okay, this isn't necessarily complete black exploitation, but do we see it as 
somehow a negative, um, a negative portrayal mm. of um, an African American experience, or you know, black people. Like, is it is this all completely positive? I mean, yeah. In the genre, it's hard. I think we were talking about this too when we were watching the film and about the challenges of of representation right right and like if you're the if you're the only thing out there right how how represented can you be of the entire world and then true how much (laughs) of the burden is it on you right alone to do that i guess it's like film tokenism (laughs) right right and i mean there was i mean just statistically at this moment there were more films starring black actors and being directed mm-hmm. by black directors out there but not a lot of them were also like written by or produced by like like i'm saying like not so many of them had when you get onto all these other like crew positions mm-hmm. not all of them like had that many you know yeah african-american people involved yeah even though they were making them like gearing them for that audience you know yeah and i mean considering the, i mean when we we're talking about the inclusiveness um i think it, i can see where they do work really hard to show african-americans not as a monolith right right more than i think most black exploitation films do um I, and you know it, it does touch on class and color I'm pretty willy that yeah you know that that is not something that often gets um talked about so that was you know also really interesting um which i think would make it kind of a more on the indie side than exploitation 2 is addressing these things and you know taking them kind of seriously right well and even like we were talking about that it addressing women and images of beauty Mm -hmm. like what is this standard of beauty and challenging even i think the european standard of beauty for a black woman right you know that that was probably a bold move you know and pam greer did that in her own way yeah without coming right out and giving this speech that they had like coffee this came out the same year as spook who sat by the door yeah so here she was, I mean, challenging it in her own, own way without coming right out and having this speech. Right. But still, you know, yeah, that was also a film made by a white director. Mm-hmm. And that was, that to me is clearly like as strong and powerful as she can be. That's still much more exploitive. Yeah. And that doesn't come across as, as positive as this film. I would say there is a it's missing the requisite number of um cat fights and <laughs> and surprise boobs uh exploding from shirts when being slapped. Well, that's so, true. Yeah. <laughs> I would say once to redo this film, please add more boobs. Sure. Actually, you know, there that's true. There's surprisingly a uh, few boobs. <laughs> no boobs. Yeah. What the hey? Actually, even and there's sex in it and no boobs. That's true. There's really, you don't see any, any nudity. 
you see almost, but none. Yeah. And then even the cursing, because they toned down the line where he, even in the book, it's, if you really want to fuck with Whitey, I'll show you how. <laughs> in the movie, it's, I, if you really want to screw with Whitey, I'll show you how. Mm -hmm. And I'm sorry, but that's an instance that they don't curse a lot in the book. No. But there are certain instances where it's like, no, you need, I mean, it, it's kind of, you're making this, saying it to make this more in your face statement mm -hmm. and yeah so i'm wondering i'm guessing maybe the rating for this movie was pg even yeah because even Cause the violence the isn't... violence isn't that severe mm -hmm. wow we could show this to children yes we could <laughs> <laughs> i should i should have uh had this film in my repertoire before i left middle school <laughs> her teaching right? yes at the library oh, I I should yes i used to work in a middle school <laughs> not i mean if, not her if, being a student yeah. <laughs> if we're gonna show this to children we can show this to middle schoolers so it could have been either yeah. way yeah yeah that would have been library movie hour mm -hmm. yeah. i always wonder i guess that ticks it off i i i, I always wondered what it was that they talked to the girls about when they took them took him to the special meeting without the boys around fourth grade. I thought oh, maybe, no. maybe it was to show him this movie, but I, I, <laughs> it's I a guess not. Revolutionary. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's yeah. It had to be it. That's the most obvious answer. Yeah. We spent five years making copies and, and learning how to fuck with Whitey um, through sex ed. <laughs> <laughs> Secrets out now. <laughs> this podcast will be banned. <laughs> Did you two just Wouldn't toast each other? Time. No, that was me. Uh, oh. um, dropping my my glass. <laughs> but that was a perfect was moment laughing. for a cheers. Yes, as I was laughing, I nearly <laughs> dropped my beverage. Oh my goodness. And you know, and I, I love that the uh the CIA guys that are just snooping around him <laughs> like before they accept him and then even when he's leaving and they've got him under kind of surveillance, they're still trying to find out if he's quote unquote a pink or commie right. or a homosexual. Mm -hmm. Like those that's all they care about. Yep. Is he a socialist, a communist, or gay? <laughs> All subversive. <laughs> Equally we so. We can't have any of that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, there, he points out just how limited, you know, they consider the dangers to be, you know? Well, and then, I mean, like, they got just the way that they just talk about how ingrained certain stereotypes are like well there's a bank robbery so of course they're going to be looking for white people to do that kind of crime not yeah. black people yeah <laughs> you know they they say black people don't do that kind of thing because they're not organized enough or whatever they right. don't have the brains it's gotta you be know, a this plot right right so they uh you know so what do they do they send the light-skinned guys to do it right. <laughs> But um, then, or of course, then the other time it's like, no, they're going to be go looking for these people. And nope, here, here it's not. They're going to be thinking that all we're capable of is shooting up. And yeah. And what was the deal with them just keeping these fresh needle marks around? Oh my like, gosh. Yeah. 
like they're going to get captured and examined that closely all the time? Like what? I thought there was a, a painful, um, a painful like need to maintain these old lap. Like <laughs> he spends so much time talking about how no one pays attention to them. And then he's like, well, you need fake track marks. And like, there was a time, there were so many times I just started writing the book um, with my own notation, but we, we, he like purchased a ticket to Memphis so that in case someone stopped him and I was like, couldn't you just like have a, like a fake one? Like, <laughs> That's an expensive <laughs> prop, isn't it? <laughs> like just to have in case. <laughs> you know, just like sleep long. It was just a nap, right? Yeah, he was like reading the newspaper, and he's like, "Well, I, you know, I'm just gonna, yeah." He like so he already has the cover of reading the newspaper <laughs> of being a black person that no one pays attention to, yeah. and just in case, yeah. And it just felt like he was always taking these steps, like, like when he's like, oh, "I'm wearing a slightly ill-fitting suit with a you know a shirt that costs a little bit less than I normally would." I'm like, "Who's paying that much attention to you?" <laughs> <laughs> the gay communists, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, Maybe you know it. It was there was definitely points when I was exhausted by the amount of work he was doing to 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 maintain all these stereotypes and i'm like does he need to because he affirms in so many different occasions that he doesn't you don't have to work that hard and that people are not ever looking that deeply because stereotypes and so they so they just expect them and like so why are you working so hard to maintain them (laughs) like it looks like you could do almost anything and, and no one would expect more of you, right? You could be shooting police officers from the roofs and they still think that someone else is in charge. So why are you spending so much time like with these terrible suits and your fake gold tooth? <laughs> you know? <laughs> and, like switching watches in like different hotel rooms. Like why? You, no, agree. It was a bit elaborate. Where we're just kind of like, really? Let's, does this even pay off? I yeah. yeah. No. Can't. There was a little bit much of that, but it, I, I don't know this mentality of oh you have to be prepared for anything I guess I yeah. don't know that's what it was supposed to be I think um yeah it, I think it also speaks to kind of like the other experience my um my husband is a social worker so shout out to people who marry social workers <laughs> um <laughs> and he was reading he was doing um he's training some some baby social workers and they, they had to ask this question about um, how often do you think about yourself and like how other people see you and does it uh, change like how you behave? And we were talking about how it seems ridiculous, but there is that kind of notion of, of certain people always being aware of, of who they are in ways that, you know, lots of us can just go through the world and just like not think like, oh, is someone being addicted to me because they're having a bad day or are they being addicted to me because they don't like my eye color or are they like, am I being snubbed right now or is this just a mistake, you know? Or, you know, if if I present too, too well-educated or know too much French, is that gonna offend someone, right? And I, and I felt like, while it was exhausting to to read in the book it kind of made sense <laughs> about that that cover that he's doing is also like a lot of people's lives you know like mm. to be you know non-offensive to actually be a person who has a mop and has to smile because otherwise yeah. they look like they might be agitating you know or 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 not you know not happy in their place and that kind of 
I, you know, it helped me kind of think about maybe some of these covers are just like a, a, a way of bringing that kind of like everyday exhaustion out um, and, and putting it into the story in a way that is um, understandable for the plot. Yeah, that kind of sense of the, the everyday mask that mm -hmm. some of us have to wear just like, you know, maybe you don't have to wear an actual uniform to your job, right. but there is some sort of mask or persona that you have to present, mm -hmm. present when you're there. And maybe it's not race-based, right? but, you know, there's definite, it's definitely emphasized when it's a, when race is involved or when these class structures are involved because yeah how are you looking at that person who is using the mop when you're the executive that's in the office like like what are those people like that dynamic like yeah you know or if you're a female candidate running for president yeah right? and you can't seem too confident but you also can't seem like your period is affecting your mood you know you can't seem too, you can't be too emotional and you can't be too hard right and those kinds of yeah right um can't seem too soft mm -hmm. yeah yeah so it's kind of it, yes again very frustrated at times about the elaborate covers but then also thinking like oh some people live elaborate covers right right yeah and and kind of what does he care about and he has this whole thing with i think it's with pretty willy where saying what do you want power or whatever and all that stuff and freeman just freeman says i just want to be free mm -hmm. and that's what he sees excuse me he sees that revolutionary revolution is the only way to be free but is is it really once this is going on is it really making him or the people free yeah i mean we don't really completely see not at there's all. no i mean there's no easy resolve to it yeah the, and that was um that was something that i was i was struggling with too and again it was remembering, you know, where I am in the social political context, you know, 50 years after this book is published. Um, but yeah, I was wondering, like, what is he thinks going to happen after this revolution? Like, because we know kind of what did happen. And the idea that you, if you give a bunch of black people guns, and you have them start shooting that suddenly, white people are going to get scared and then say, you know what, we should respect you more. <laughs> <laughs> Hmm, I don't see that happening. And then, you know, the, when he's comparing, you know, he's studying all these, these you know, guerrillas in these countries. I'm like, they were sovereign nations. Like, how are you going to arm yourself and then be like, I hope my neighbor, like, like, stops by for milk after this revolution, you know, and like, cares if I like, you know, am I mean, they won't shoot me when I'm walking down the street because I don't belong in that neighborhood. You know, I'm like, I think that's less likely, you know? Yeah, it, it's true. I mean, he's looking at the, all of these models of countries that are not democracies as much as our democracy sometimes is questionable. Yeah. It's still compared to these other, these governments and these other situations he's looking at. We certainly don't fit this mold of what he's trying to wear you're coming from this place and trying to go to this other place. I don't know if that's going to work. 
Right. Yeah. And then the way he takes the, you know, he's like all of the cities with ghettos. And I'm like, I'm picturing, I'm picturing this map of these little tiny, tiny islands. And then I see this like sea of like military troopers surrounding each of those islands. I'm like, that's yeah. not going to work, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> You're gonna run well, I know. Up. And I mean, and he, they, they list, oh, we've got these cities bum, 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 mm-hmm. all on board and we've already started. I mean, cause this is supposed to happen over what, however many months. Mm-hmm. Once he infiltrates, you know, after he gets out of the CIA and gets into the Cobras and starts, you know, training them, it's, it's doesn't even seem to be, it's not even a year, you know, that he moves them to this point of, okay, let's start fucking some shit up. And, (laughs) and here you have other cities in the United States that are doing this. And I guess in theory, it's supposed to be other cities are supposed to be, you know, starting their own revolutions at the same time so that you have things going on, but you can't limit it to just the ghettos because there are black people who live outside of the ghetto for one. And then two, there's so much of the country Mm -hmm. that that's not even addressing. Right. Yeah. That needs to have this, you know, these things change. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah, it, and then again, it, was, it felt very naive, um, which is you know why probably it's 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 not as you know it's not as threatening now. And granted, I know I can be an idealist in some ways, but yeah. <laughs> but it's still there's a point of okay, you needed a little bit more realism, and I mean as far as a realistic vision of what you were going to do mm-hmm. with this. And he- I, I don't know. Also, like looking at the casualties, right? It seemed almost like cannibalism. Um, in the and you know, whereas he's like, oh, you know, a lot of these kids are going to die. He's like, yeah, you know, it's really sad. He's like, we're also going to have to kill our friends. And you're like, okay, and I'm like, so where is Whitey getting fucked up in this part? Because <laughs> it sounds like <laughs> yeah, there was there was a little bit of that too, though. Yeah, but like definitely it was lopsided. <laughs> like, and that was his plan. <laughs> I don't know. I, as again, I was like, half reading this as like as a strategic guide. And I'm like, mm, I think so. Some holes here, Freeman. Well, <laughs> yeah, I mean, and well, and then that goes to the point of for true revolution to occur, how violent does it need to be? Right. And I think that speaks to that time period too, right? Where he's got these the the um the nationalists and then you've you've got the nonviolent hers <laughs> these two teams right and like no one's sure which the right way is and well and this came this book came after an assass- assassination of Malcolm X mm-hmm. Martin Luther King JFK RFK like mm-hmm. i mean you had all these people who were you know civil rights leaders in their own way mm-hmm. and there was a time this sense of okay we need to you know do something truly revolutionary because they're coming for us yeah this hope you change stuff isn't working out yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah i don't know 
I was wondering, I've been waiting um, for this so I could hear how the political experts um, took it. I don't know. That's Darren. <laughs> that was very interesting points. It's, it's hard. It's hard sometimes, especially now to completely separate our political climates and our political realities from something frozen in a moment, you know, and the, it's, it's tough. <laughs> uh, I, I'm not as well trained in the, uh, ob, ob, subjective, objective, uh, ambivalent point of view uh, without bringing some of myself into criticism. Yeah. Um, it, yeah, it it came in the time when the basic, I don't know, understanding is that you can get changes faster with a gun than politics with mm -hmm. all all of the all of the people that were leading with words are just killed from the snipers on the rooftop that uh, the Freeman freedom fighters are are trying it out it's you know how violent does a revolution have to be usually is dictated by how strong the grip that you're trying to break is right mm -hmm. true true yeah now i don't know <laughs> I, and i'm also you know from a very comfortable point of privilege here you know you're talking about masks that women and other people have to wear i'm you know middle class white guy <laughs> you know <laughs> like uh yeah. i've i've been able to be sassy with cops and on numerous occasions and <laughs> you know i it is a privilege that i try to be aware of but sometimes it's easy to forget how comfortable i am yeah. So I don't know. Um, yeah, did I make any sense? Yeah. <laughs> okay. No, that makes yeah. no, that makes sense. That makes sense. You know, I'm I'm happy to learn. I, that's why I love having different people on all the time. Is a, a variety of perspective is something that a lot of people go without without noticing. Well, and I mean. Vanessa, I've wanted to have you on before anyway, just because you're awesome. And like I said, you're Thank my you library, but one of my library buddies and my one of my exploitation buddies. But for this specifically, because we are dealing with this issue of black power, African-American politics, I thought it was important to have someone who was, you know, like, a voice in that community, not saying you speak for all <laughs> black people, but, it, you know, it's it's one thing for the two of us, for Darren and I to sit here as two white liberals. <laughs> you know, I mean, like, <laughs> we recognize our privilege, but still, you know, it, we can only lend a certain insight um, as much as we try, you know. <laughs> Sometimes we're not perfect. Uh, yeah, very few people are, as it turns out. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's a I weird know. thing. I know. As long as you, as long as you're trying, that's to get better. That's that's what I. Yeah. Yeah, I think. Yeah, it, I think being aware that we're all imperfect souls is probably the best thing that helps people be nice to other people. 
Well, yeah, that's true. That's true. That's true. But, but no, and and still that kind of connects that to the movie where you have these politicians, like this attitude of, I have nothing wrong with the black people, you know, or whatever ridiculous term of that era they use, you know, because there are a couple places where you're like, oh, geez, Louise, like you actually thought you were being somehow open-minded. Like, no, I mean, and yes, we've evolved with our language and Mm -hmm. trying to break down microaggressions and things as time has gone on, but it's still like these people are so oblivious and all the African-American community is, is a vote, right? A number of votes. And that's really what it comes from to begin with is that some of these politicians, that's all they care about is the numbers. Yeah. They don't care about the individuals, the community. And I mean like the people and their genuine needs. Right. And that's again, goes to a problem with a lot of politicians where they don't truly represent the people they're supposed to be speaking for yeah 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 it's funny i I, they pull a pr stunt or something (laughs) that might get them some votes at the last minute but yeah would would freeman even be um become uh, be able to uh to get into the cia if they didn't need like the the vote right (laughs) they wouldn't they wouldn't have to um have their token in the cia if um if they didn't need Thankfully, we have much better gerrymandering so that <laughs> you don't have to worry about that as much. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, the ACLU's case against my state's gerrymandering goes to court on the 4th. Oh, good luck, Ohio. Yep. <laughs> yep, good luck there. I'm in the same voting district as my dad, who lives about an hour and a half away. Wow. Yeah, they're that's crazy to me. It it shoots the they've got the big country bubble that's between Cleveland and Columbus, and then mm-hmm. it narrows down like a spike into part of Columbus. And yeah, if I moved a block, it was one of those ones that if I moved a block in either direction, I would be in a different district, basically. What? So weird. That, it's really look at I'll I'll show you Vanessa or both Vanessa's if you like the Ohio yeah. the Ohio districts and it's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, I think they've with they've redrawn them since I lived there. I'm sure. I think they redrew them <laughs> in, the, in the big anti-Obama uh-huh. s- scared old man surge of 2010. And oh, yeah, because I used to have a really cool representative, and <laughs> then all of a sudden I got this shithead Pat T. Berry, and then he, yeah, anyway, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's one of the reasons why my dad ran for Congress to take over our spot was to get our districts redrawn. But wow, he lost to the, the Democrat choice in the primaries. Mm. But he at least tried. Yeah, I was going to say, kudos for taking that step. That's huge. Yeah. But yeah, so fingers crossed. We passed some stuff that was supposed to redraw our districts uh, through legislation a couple years ago, and nothing has happened. 
So hopefully the court case will do something because they're planning on doing it before 2020 if they're mm-hmm. found to need to be changed. Yeah. But interesting. Anyway. Sorry. No. All good. Um I I don't think we have officially done it yet. Would you recommend this book and or movie? Ooh, that's tough. I wonder, I, there were certain times when I was reading this um, on the subway and I was worried that people would like think of me differently. Um, <laughs> <laughs> or worse, you know, either. I was like, I wonder, I, like, I felt like I need to say like, oh, it's, it's, it's for a podcast. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I, I definitely, there were some people I did, um, I, I did recommend it to who I thought they would find it interesting. Um, including my husband. I'm like, just read it for my, my, my marginal quotes alone. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like, it's like, yeah, there was, a, it was a journey for me reading through this. I think I would, I think anyone who, who is interested at all in, in taking a, a, a trip back 50 years and, and looking at the world, um, I would it would find it interesting. I mean, again, when I was looking at it literary wise, I'm like, mm, it could have used a different editor at some points. Um, I wouldn't say their writing is incredible, um, but the ideas were interesting. Even the the ones that I found challenging were, you know, were made me think about something in a different way, which was, which is always what I look for in a book. Make me think more. What about you guys? And did you, what about the movie? The movie? Oh, obviously all the time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Easy breathing. Definitely that. For the plot alone. Yeah, I think I would <laughs> recommend the movie before I would recommend the book. Yeah. Because I agree. There's some of the writing style where you're just kind of like, uh, okay, whatever. It, it, yes, it could have handled a little like tighter editing maybe mm-hmm. in some places. But... I like the ideas behind it and I definitely, I mean, it's still pretty easy to read though because it's not that long, Yeah. yeah. but um, I would definitely, you know, I think I'd recommend probably the movie before I'd recommend the book and then say, well, if you like the book, read, I mean, if you like the movie, read the book. Yeah. Just because I I feel like more people would, I guess, I guess uh, go into it better that way. Mm Mm-hmm. Do you think it would be without the without the book um, that you that you would still get a lot of the the political stuff in it? Yeah, I think yeah. so. I think it was hard when I watched because I watched the film first um, before reading the book. I definitely um, didn't look too much, and I knew a little bit from talking to, with you, Vanessa, but I didn't I didn't look at it um, too deeply until until reading the book. Yeah. Yeah. That's my fault. No. <laughs> yes, it's such your fault. <laughs> and Taryn, obviously, you, you're throwing it from the rooftops like a sniper, right? <laughs> yeah, I I would say it's hard for me to pick which one I, I like more than the other. I am very happy with both picks. I know sometimes in the past we, uh, I, I've had a definite leaning in one way or the other, but these, the book and the movie are for different moods for me. Mm. Yeah, that's actually a good way to put it. 
No, I, I agree with you on that. Which moods? <laughs> <laughs> um, I, the movie is more fun. Mm-hmm. I would say the movie's more fun. The movie's more get together, hang out with people, you know, spark conversations or just laugh and have a drink. And the the book it um feeds the more politically active part of my life, I guess. If yeah. That makes any sense. <laughs> yeah. That makes okay. sense, yeah. Um so No, I I I know what you're saying. It's I mean the definitely the the book is a little bit more overt. I mean. Mm-hmm. Not that the film isn't political, but the book is definitely overtly like you just can't escape it. Yeah, yeah. I would put it near another book that can definitely be argued could maybe have has been served by having a stronger editor at some points. I would put this next to Abby Hoffman's "Steal This Book" on my bookshelf. Okay. okay. If I organize yeah. my books at all. <laughs> and not just because uh, G comes right before H in the alphabet. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, this would be in the same. We are here with a librarian. That, <laughs> books that remind me of each other. Yeah, I know. My my best friend's mom and his sister. Well, no, she's not a librarian anymore. <laughs> Librarians and teachers uh, teached me about books when I was little, having many in the family and close circle of friends. So. Uh, I guess I need to ask you, what is the punishment for someone that folds down the corners of a page? Oh, my goodness. Just guilt. (laughs) (laughs) I I find that uh, guilt is the best tool. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I've had this uh, type of conversation before with children, you know, the like, it's true. I I will just use straight up guilt. You, you. I noticed you got the shinier book when you got the new one, huh? Because you, you don't like the ones that have the the corners that are ripped out. Oh, okay. And like just sadness and guilt. Somebody had to have been very inconsiderate to not think about the person reading the book after them. <laughs> Makes them apologize to the person who's checking it out. <laughs> That's fair enough. Yeah, I'm not a parent. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, let's take a quick break, and then we will be back to close out the show. Be right back. Hey, Andrew. Hey, Maddie. Do you like horror movies? I sure do. Well, did you know that most horror movies are inspired by real-life horror? Really? Like what? Well, take The Shining, for instance. That's based on Stephen King's real-life addictions, or The Purge, which could be our country any minute now. Oh, and The Strangers, which is based on a real-life murder. People should be talking about these things. Hey, guys. Oh, oh hey, Producer, Producer Michael. Producer Michael, oh, Well, I hate to break it to you, but somebody already is. It's you. <gasps> That's right. We are Friday the 13th, the podcast where we talk about horror in real life and horror in media, all from an LGBTQ perspective. Because we gay, y'all. We are proud members of the Legion Podcast Network, and we can be found on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or wherever your favorite podcasts are found. And follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Come along with us on this crazy journey, and as always, get slayed. Nobody's ever helped me. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and I oh. like to get my hair cut. 
And no. so my ears, my ears are going to freeze off. The polar vortex almost took my ears. Oh my goodness. I forgot about the polar vortex. Yeah. Do <laughs> We got freezing rain today. I'm just wearing a smashed down mohawk. Oh, can you just wet the mohawk and hope that it gets cold enough to just freeze it? Oh, like like those uh, TikTok videos people were doing, like throwing their coffee in the air. I oh, my gosh. Work. No, I've had my hair accidentally freeze when I went out with it, like when it was short, mm-hmm. like and I went out with it in the winter and it was like wet and sticking out from underneath my hat. Like all of a sudden I put my hand up. I'm like, crunch, crunch. <laughs> Why is that like that? That's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> and then I realized the power of oh, my hair freezing. <laughs> <laughs> I think yeah. the first time I spiked my hair, I was pretending to be that Martin Short character, Ed Grimley. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When I was really young. And then, uh, yeah, there were, there were a lot of junior high wet hair waiting for the bus stop things that were gradual <laughs> steps towards my hair of today that's awesome i think one one halloween in the 80s i was trying i had this is when i had long hair down to my waist i was trying to tease my hair so it looked like the bride of frankenstein (laughs) (laughs) i didn't have enough will to use that much aquanet and unfortunately it just ended up looking like robert smith of the cure (laughs) (laughs) unfortunately i mean it was still cool don't get me wrong but it was not the look it was going for (laughs) it was like no i really wanted this but okay (laughs) i still had the pale makeup (laughs) anyway oh wow yeah that's funny We are back with the VD Hair Salon. This is not the first time we have gone on gone at length about <laughs> hair on here. That's true. We did talk about hair in was it the Big Bird Cage or Big Dollhouse? No, it was a big um big dollhouse. Big dollhouse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the referral slip or whatever a month later when we had to explain about the hair thing. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> Anywho. Yeah. So yeah, yes, we're back. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, uh, like we said, we'd all recommend this. But um, anyway, uh, thank you for being here, Vanessa. Thank you for having me. Do you have anything exciting going on that you just want to share? Or No, that's all um, I've been talking about is, oh, I'm going to be on a podcast. So no, I don't have anything new <laughs> exciting to tell people. Like, oh, I'm still on the podcast. <laughs> and this will be it for the year for me. So thank you for making my year. Okay. Well, <laughs> maybe we'll have you on again. After after I was telling uh, Darren, I was saying that uh, when Vanessa and I were watching the movie together, it was like, maybe one of our commentaries, uh, she'll have to join us because <laughs> like, we have way too much fun <laughs> with some of the, especially when, yeah, we were talking the cat fights. Ooh, boobs pop out. (laughs) (laughs) I tripped on something and my breasts fell out. So nice. Yeah. Gets a little amusing. (laughs) But anyway, is there anything else you, anything you have going on uh, other than this show that you'd like to share? Darren? Oh, sorry. I didn't hear you say my name. I thought you were still talking to Vanessa. Um, other than this show, which thank thank you for listening. 
and look for are we say can I add what next month is or are we doing that sure. after our goodbye? No, next go next ahead. month we are doing Monster, the Charlize Theron, Christina Ritchie movie. And was it Monster My True Story, the book? Yes. By Aileen Warnos. Yeah, by Aileen Warnos. It is going to be another uh, month of March Madness. Yep, more March Madness. Um, See, so over at <laughs> over at the Midnight Horror Show, we are doing Women in Horror Month and Black History Month. I think the next couple episodes, since nice, it's the shortest month. We have to do, <laughs> do everything at once. Um, and oh, at Psychosemantic. <laughs> Uh, by the time you hear this, uh, let's see, Mars Attacks with Liam uh, from over in Scotland uh, came on. And right around the same time you're hearing this, I think you should look for a conversation about the movie Pleasantville. Ah, classic. And uh, yes, Vanessa, what, what do you got going on in, in the world and devour the podcast? That is a good question. I do not know yet. Um, <laughs> I should probably message uh, Bo and Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think Bo and I are still in recovery after that uh, massive Blair Witch uh, episode. <laughs> yeah, you got to take it easy on yourselves this next time. Yeah. So, yes, we shall see what happens there. But yes, I will be over at Devour the Podcast whenever that next episode <laughs> comes out. <laughs> so yeah until i guess next month um this is vanessa and <laughs> darren not gonna and, say goodbye. oh and darren and and oh and and other vanessa and other vanessa <laughs> <laughs> okay saying fight the power bye bye Thank you for listening to another episode of the VD Clinic. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can find us at Twitter at VD Clinic Pod or reach us via email at VDClinicPod at gmail.com. We also have a Facebook group, VD Clinic Podcast. We'd love to hear your feedback, suggestions, and more.
Beast! 